Hello, everyone, and welcome to H5 Explores, a podcast where we dive headfirst into matters on the minds of legal and compliance professionals. I'm your host, Kimberly Culpepper, and I'm here with two analytics and AI experts at H5, Mark Wentworth, Director of Practice Development, and John Kilberg, Senior Director of Engagement and Client Management. In today's episode, we're going to explore how to best leverage analytics and artificial intelligence, especially in activities related to litigation and investigations. So let's dive into the discussion. Mark and John, hello, and welcome to H5 Explores. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi, how are you both doing today? Great, doing well. Doing well. Excellent. Well, let's go ahead and get started. John, this first question is for you. We hear a lot about analytics and AI today, but there's still confusion in the market. How are analytics and artificial intelligence different? Thanks, Kim. That's a great question. Analytics are the technologies and techniques that people use to organize and analyze data, whereas artificial intelligence are the tasks that are performed by a machine that require human-level intelligence to accomplish. AI focuses on replacing human cognitive function, whereas the analytics is looking to organize and analyze the data to provide insights or visualizations or those types of things. Hmm. And are there different types of AI? Yeah, the first generation of AI was a rules-based approach to perform tasks. That's where instructions were hard-coded into computers so that they could execute those more quickly and efficiently than humans. And rules-based approaches are really good at games, chatbots, and textual analysis. The second wave of AI embraced machine learning, which uses algorithms to learn from label training examples and iterative cycles of prediction and analysis of outcomes. Machine learning has applications across a lot of fields, ranging from Netflix recommendations to predictive coding in the review phase of e-discovery. Okay. Wow. That's quite a bit that we're using today and that we typically use with AI. So let's move into the kind of the next level. Mark, this one's for you. Now that we know the variations between using analytics and AI, let's discuss how they apply to e-discovery. How are e-discovery professionals using analytics today? No, that's a great question, Kim. I, I think it obviously depends based on the case team and the types of analytics that they have access to. But generally, you know, we're seeing kind of several groups of analytics that are used in traditional e-discovery workflows. So there's kind of the core analytics, deduplication, near duplicate identification, and email threading, which are, you know, have been kind of core to traditional e-discovery workflows for some time. And then I think there's some other capabilities that have really become more prevalent recently, like name normalization, where, you know, you're grouping together all of the email aliases for various custodians and creating a normalized naming convention for them. Entity extraction, which is helpful for identifying certain types of content, whether it's numerical values or other types of information, which for certain types of cases can be uh, very helpful. And then communication analysis, I think, has become more prevalent as well, where, especially for investigations, where you're looking for, you know, who's talking to who, you know, you can very easily kind of see if John and I are speaking, you know, who else we're communicating with. And so that can be very helpful and narrowing in on certain types of of information. But I think that the more advanced types of core analytics that have become more prevalent are concept search 
where you're looking for certain types of conceptually related content based on information you might be aware of. And then conceptual clustering where, again, for various types of matters like investigations where you don't know much about the case, you can kind of start with groups of content and kind of work your way through the rest of the data set. So those are some of the various types of of core analytics that we're seeing these days. You've given us a lot of different types that can be utilized in discovery. So you know, if someone is coming to this fresh and they're trying to determine the types of analytics, like how would they understand which ones to incorporate in their matter? You know, I think a lot of that comes down to working with your team of experts. And so if you're working within a law firm, a lot of times there are very knowledgeable practice support folks, uh, lead e-discovery attorneys that have a lot of experience working uh, with certain types of analytics on matters. And then obviously you can trust your preferred vendor. A lot of times they have a tremendous amount of experience in leveraging those analytics to accelerate review and to uh, create efficiencies that, you know, if, if the team isn't as familiar with, can be leveraged. Great. And so would we potentially apply one type of analytics to our matter or is there benefit in combining a couple different types? Yeah, no, there is some significant value in combining analytics. I mean, you can look at, you know, some of the core ones like deduplication and email threading, for example. You know, a lot of email thread suppression workflows and inclusive email thread reviews have become very popular. And so reviewing from thread to thread can be very helpful, but then also combining that with tagging of all of the duplicates within those messages and attachments can accelerate review significantly, as can other combining other types of analytics as well. All right. Well, that's quite a bit of information about analytics. Is there anything else on the analytics side that you think we should talk about when we're, we're thinking about the types of analytics that are used in e-discovery? Well, I, I think that there are new advancements in analytics and AI on a regular basis. And so I think it's always interesting to see what the next groundbreaking technology is. And so it's also being used in a a variety of different ways, which is always interesting too. Now, John, let's switch gears and talk a bit about AI. We know that AI is used quite a bit in e-discovery. Can you just explain to us what are the common AI approaches and tools that are used today? Well, I think it all started with TAR 1.0, Technology Assisted Review 1.0, or predictive coding. And that's a process where you review samples of documents, either control or seed sets, as well as training sets, to train the model and to apply the decisions that the humans are making as you know a categorization schema. And at the outset, I think you know there was a lot of hype about needing a subject matter expert to do that training, but we found that that's not necessarily the case. You can you know contract attorneys or others can do that work under the supervision of a subject matter expert. And then I think the second stage was TAR 2.0 or continuous active learning, where the system is continuously analyzing the machine learning results as people are reviewing the documents without the need to, you know, as in the TAR 1.0 model to have the control set and the different samples. And so the difference here is it's using all the available reviewers to provide more flexibility than the TAR 1.0 approach. And then there are hybrid approaches that combine machine learning and rules-based AI. And there, they're using machine learning for the population that that's suitable for, where it's capturing large segments of either responsive or non-responsive material. 
and then using rules-based AI for more nuanced decisions that the machine learning may struggle with. There's pros and cons to each approach, and folks should be aware of what those are. And, and as Mark was saying, you know, work with their experts, either internally or externally, to understand what the best approach is for them in their particular situation. Well, let's dive into that a little bit, because I think it'll be helpful for our listeners to understand the pros and cons of each approach. So let's start with the pros. Like, why are these good to utilize? I mean, for TAR 1.0, the pros are that it's really beneficial when more of the facts are known or the goal is to provide, you know, response for production review. It really helps prioritize and speed the review of documents versus, you know, just a straight linear review. And so it's very helpful from that perspective. There's some cons in terms of the unpredictability of the training time that will be required to get to a, a categorization of the set. You need a significant representative set of data to begin with as well, which could delay the start of the review. And many times, uh, low-yield populations can be difficult to obtain good performance on just because you know there's less of those documents being identified from the model. And so it may take a more significant investment to train the model there. I think with Cal or TAR 2.0, the, some of the benefits are that you can start the work as soon as you have data available. You don't have to have that representative sample. And each coding decision contributes to the training and re-ranking of the documents throughout the review so that the model is learning as you go. And you may be able to end the review sooner than with other tools, depending on you know what your specific requirements are. The con for Cal is that it still requires a manual review of an unknown quantity of relevant documents. And typically when the responsive yield is is low, it's going to require a higher volume of documents to be reviewed. And so those are the main cons with the Cal approach. With a hybrid approach, it's similar to TAR 1.0 in that you need a representative set of the documents to be provided at the outset. One of the pros, though, is that once you've classified the document population, there's really no need for further human review. So it it basically replaces a a first-pass review. And it can scale to really large document populations because it takes a sampling approach with just a fraction of the documents in the population being reviewed. It also has the flexibility to handle low-yield data populations and can typically achieve high-precision recall. It is, you know, the cons is, as I'd mentioned, it, you still have to have, it sort of works in batched data sets. So versus the continuously rolling data like you would have in a Cal workflow. And it's sensitive to changes in responsive criteria once you've started a particular batch set. Those are the things that we think about when we think about pros and cons for each of those approaches. Okay. And are there specific tools that are in use today that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of tools that are that are out there. Relativity Assisted Review, you know, is probably the largest, obviously, just given market share. Brainspace, NextLP, Catalyst, and then there's a number of proprietary systems that are out there. I think a lot of the a lot of the tools that are out there are really trying to help humans review faster or make you know better decisions, but. Only a few are really meant to replace human review entirely. So that's another thing to consider when you're thinking about a tool. So I know that there are other tools that provide more visual analytics. Can you talk a bit about those tools that are available? 
Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of great tools out there, Kim. And I think that, you know, John mentioned relativity assisted review. And so you look at the the relativity tool set, data visualization, I think, has become more of a key part of their solution where you can leverage the analytics and the identification of certain types of data and look for trends in the data using a lot of the the visuals, whether it's email threading or cluster bubbles or you know, other parts of the program. There are other solutions out there like Brainspace that I think do a really good job of creating their cluster wheel, for example, which is a good way to kind of visualize data and various groups of content where you may not know as much about a matter going in, but you can very easily kind of look at various clusters of content and kind of hone in on the topics that are are most relevant to your investigation or your litigation matter and find that information that that is key. So those are a couple of them. But as I mentioned, there's some there's some great tools out there. And I think a lot of platforms have been acquiring various tools to build out more of a comprehensive solution set, which is kind of interesting to see as well. That's very interesting. Okay. Yeah, we've talked a bit about the types of AI and analytics that are available and how they can be applied. How do we get the most value out of analytics and AI tools? I think, John, this one is better for you. Sure. Well, I think that there's some best practices when you're when you're dealing with, with AI. One is, and probably the one of the biggest, is that you need to have consistency in your assessments. You have to have good data in to get good data out. And so you need to make sure that you have subject matter clarity up front to the extent possible in terms of what's responsive, what's not responsive, or what's key or what's not key. And then I think it's also, as part of that, it's probably worth spending time up front to identify documents that are not suitable for your analytics efforts. So many platforms you have to identify, you know, text deficient documents or audio or video files, that type of thing that just aren't going to be susceptible to machine learning applications. And so isolating those documents and knowing how to deal with those in an alternative fashion is key. The other thing to just keep in mind is that AI is not magic. You can't really just go out and buy five magics and have your problem solved. You actually need expertise to make sure that you or your technology partner understands how to best support your needs. And, and just because a technology partner has tools, you need to make sure that they know how to use those tools and get the most out of that technology. And you should be asking more of your technology partners too, if they're not advising you on best practices or approaches for a particular phase of litigation or investigation. One of the things that we've found is that there are multiple approaches for different needs and, and there's no master algorithm yet. And so, Take a sampling of the data before you choose the review methodology that you want to pursue so that you can see which tool, which application, which approach is going to make be the best choice for you in that situation. And then relatedly, use every available tool that you have to maximum advantage. Combine as many AI methodologies or analytic methodologies as you can, as long as they're cost efficient, obviously, to reduce the documents that need to be looked at. That's an internal practice that we have. As long as it can be demonstrated that a tool is going to work well and provide measurements that we can analyze, then we'll leverage that. And then two final thoughts are to track all the decisions made throughout the process for defensibility purposes. You need to have a, a reasonable process that's been documented and 
you know, that's something that some of the tools allow you to do as part of the, the platform. But if they don't, make sure that you're capturing those. And then finally, understand the recall and precision of your process and, and which is more important for your needs. You know, if you're making your production to a government agency, you may be focusing on recall, whereas if you're looking for key documents, you may be focused in on precision. So there's trade-offs to achieving either higher precision or higher recall. And so you just need to know what your particular needs are and what's the best method in achieving that for your needs. Okay, thanks, John. So you've talked quite a bit about how we can get the most value out of analytics and AI in terms of best practices and workflows, but what should you consider with respect to your team? Yeah, I think it's important when you're considering a technology partner to consider, one, what technology they have available. Is it limited to one tool or do they have many in their arsenal? Then, you know, I think you can also look to see what expertise the partner has and what do they bring to the table? Are they lawyers that are working in e-discovery or do they have linguists, data scientists, statisticians, and information retrieval experts that are on staff that could help? It's also important to consider who's going to explain or testify to the process if necessary to either DOJ, SEC, FTC, or to opposing. A lot of those agencies typically require disclosure of when you're making productions into those agencies, you know, what process you used and have a number of questions that they ask around, you know, your process and then actually ask for samples and such to, to validate your process. So having a team that can support you through that process and understand what's going to be happening throughout that process and having everything buttoned up from either a production review perspective or from a key document investigation type perspective is key. Okay, great. So we've talked quite a bit about using analytics and AI for litigation investigations, but Mark, is there value in using these tools for pre-investigation and pre-litigation? Most definitely. And I think we're seeing more of that these days. I mean, I think I kind of touched on this earlier in regard to, you know, some of the acquisitions that have gone on in the industry. But, you know, you could look at Microsoft acquiring Equivio uh, years ago and incorporating Equivio into Office 365. And so I think the, the goal is to identify more substantive content earlier in the process so that you can narrow the, the volume of data going downstream. We're doing some of that actually at H5, applying our linguistic models to some of the applications that we integrate with so that you can leverage an index for data that is pre-collection and identify certain types of content for CCPA, whether you're looking to identify privacy content or information that may contain personally identifiable content or something to that effect. And so I think there's a lot of value to identifying data earlier on in the process. And I think just uh, as we've been discussing with analytics and AI, the goal really is to create efficiencies and reduce costs throughout the workflow. And so I think the more you can do that by moving the analytics and AI component further in the EDRM for just to create a visual there, I think that there's a tremendous amount of value there. All right. So we're thinking about, you know, shifting gears and with respect to AI and analytics and moving it further upstream, that kind of leads into the future of these two kind of types of tools. Where do you see them going in the future? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And I think that there's a lot possible, the, the use of AI. I think that, you know, we'll see more 
kind of pre-configured models, if you will, to identify content early on in the process. I mean, one of the things that I think we've been seeing more of over the last few years or so is the automation of potentially privileged content, for example. And so I think very similar to certain types of content that you may want to identify pre-collection, if you can imagine being able to identify all potentially privileged content before you even collect the data, just as there's value in identifying other types of information. I think that the use of AI and analytics and moving that further upstream and integrating that into collection applications, archiving solutions, and so forth, really just creates a tremendous amount of of insight into the data that you have before you even really move it into more of a traditional e-discovery workflow. This all sounds great, Mark, but are there additional advancements or big, bold things that you expect to see in the future? I think, you know, as we're seeing other types of content making its way into more, you know, traditional e-discovery workflows like social media content, for example, I think we're going to be seeing AI and analytics playing a part there, being able to identify certain types of communication, certain types of sentiment and, and so forth in some of the social media communication. So that's interesting. I think that advancements in analytics, I think, will only benefit some of the fraud and anomaly detection in, in some of the cases that we're seeing out there. And I think the last piece would be, could predictive analytics really kind of go a long way in potentially predicting certain types of, of HR matters or you know employment matters or things like that. And so using types of, of analytics like sentiment analysis and so forth further upstream. So I think there's a lot that we're going to see. I, I think it'll be interesting to see as technology uh, kind of further advances kind of what that's going to look like. Oh, so it sounds like it's an open field in terms of technology and the, the uses that it can be applied to in litigation. So that's fantastic. All right. Well, that was the final question. And that's it for the first episode of H5 Explores. I want to thank Mark Wentworth and John Kilberg for joining us today and providing valuable insights and information that we can take and use in our next e-discovery matter. Be sure to join us for the next episode of H5 Explores, where we will discuss the fate of the jury in the wake of COVID-19. If you'd like H5 to explore something that's on your mind, email us at info at h5.com. Your topic could be the focus of a future episode. And if you'd like more information about H5 or anything you've heard today, visit us at www.h5.com. Until next time, I'm Kimberly Culpepper, and thank you for listening to H5 Explorers. H5 Explores.